So if you're able to stand, it's a lengthy text. I want to invite you now to stand for the reading of God's word. We will be in the book of Acts chapter five. We will start in verse 17 and go through verse 42. Acts 5, 17 to 42. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow the undertaking of this man. Overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the events that unfolded at that time in that place, in that prison, in that temple, and day after day, house to house. We thank you for the power that you revealed there and the power that you are revealing even now. And Lord, we need you. We need you to calm our hearts and minds. 
We need you to lift from our minds apathy, cynicism, doubt. We need, Father, you to overwhelm us with the freedom that we have in you and the importance of the mission that you've given us. God, just like everyone here, there are so many things distracting each of us. And so we pray for this time in your word to be clear that we really would be overwhelmed by the goodness of this message and encouraged to be the people that you've called us to be for your glory's sake and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The narrative that you just heard as Matt and Aaron read it is really remarkable. And it's important for us as God's people to enter into these narratives, to, to listen for new things, to be reminded of old things, but to read with an expectation each time that we are going to be transformed by the truth. It's easy to just cruise through a passage, highlight a few things and move on, but that's not the purpose of the Word of God. The Word of God is meant to transform our lives each and every time we bathe in it, as we soak in it. 33 years ago next Sunday, I was arrested. That got your attention. I didn't do it. I was innocent. I'd been 18 one month, and suddenly two police officers were standing outside my house. They had arrested my best friend already. He was in the squad car, and they were talking to my father. My dad looked at me with that look of, what did you do? They took me into the front yard, and in front of all the neighbors who had already left and was now on their porch, handcuffed me and put me in the back of the squad car. I was 18. I wasn't a child anymore, and I didn't do it. I was innocent. I was booked, placed in a jail cell, and had no idea how long I would be there. Now it was a county jail. I wasn't sent to a maximum security prison, but nonetheless, I was in there with other people who had committed crimes, and based on the look of what I saw, they probably were not innocent. <laughs> they looked at me, and I looked at them, and a common conversation, I'm sure, started. What are you in for? They asked me. I didn't ask them. Part of me didn't want to know, honestly. I said, well, I, I'm innocent. And they smiled. We all are. <laughs> no, I really am. What did you do? What did they say you did? They said I pointed a gun at a woman. But I didn't. I remember the woman. I was riding in the passenger seat of my friend's blazer. I had my hands together like this. She was at a stop sign. And as we drove by, I pointed at her car, just like that. I didn't say, boom! I didn't have anything in my hands, but from her perspective, I had a gun. She called the police, she wrote down the tag number, and now I was in jail. Sitting in that jail with three other people, not my roommate, he was in a different jail, I remember thinking, there's nothing I can do to get myself out of this situation. I cannot bang on the wall and make them let me out. I don't have a key. I can't break free. I know there are people out there helping me, but the ones who put me in here don't think I'm innocent. And I waited hours. Finally, the cell was opened. I went out. I saw my parents. They weren't really happy to see me, <laughs> but I was innocent. I was innocent. A month or so later, the charges were dropped. It was thrown out of court, but it went to court. I had an attorney, there was a jury, it went all the way. So for about 60 days, there was turmoil in my stomach as I began 
to constantly consider what might happen if they don't believe I'm innocent, even though I am. That was just a day in jail. Peter and the apostles were thrown into a jail. Not like the nice one that I was in. They were thrown into a jail that is really beyond our ability to comprehend its stench. People weren't sent to jail to experience long terms of rehabilitation. They were sent to prison in order that they may await their day of execution. And they were tired of Jesus. They were tired of this group of men making known the name of Jesus. And so they put them in jail, in prison. I want to approach the passage this morning by really asking three questions. The first question is, why were they put in prison? The second one, why were they rescued? Why were they miraculously rescued from prison? And then lastly, what does it mean for us today, the same church 2,000 years later? Well, they were put in prison for one simple reason. From the eyes of those who put them there, they were a threat to society. They wanted these men to stop preaching Jesus. And if they wouldn't stop preaching Jesus, they were going to do whatever they could within their power to make them stop. So one option was to beat them. They did. One option was to throw them in prison. But the text tells us, as Luke records, they wanted to kill them. Why? Because they wanted this message of hope. They wanted this message of Jesus as the one true life to be ended once and for all. And if we can take the leaders of this group, the apostles, put them in a place where they will be silenced, then we have succeeded. That was their goal. One goal. Stop letting the name of Jesus be proclaimed. Whatever is required, that's what we're going to do. This will stop the spread of the gospel. That's what prisons do. No matter what they say their motivations are from a standpoint of rehabilitation, the primary reason people are put in prisons is to protect society from those who would bring danger. Hopefully it will deter others from doing that crime, but it's to protect us and to rehabilitate them. Some they see as never being able to be rehabilitated, but the desire is to protect society from those who are a harm. And so the gospel in their eyes was a harm. Jesus was a harm. They wanted the gospel to end. And so these apostles were placed in prison. Here's the problem. God cannot be stopped. I could say amen and end it right now. If you believed it. God cannot be stopped. He can't. 2,000 plus years later, I'm telling the same story that these men lived. And the same God that caused this to happen is the same God using you and me, delighting in using us to extend his kingdom, to make his name known. These disciples were put in prison to be silenced. So what happened? Well, as they're locked away, as a guard is put in front of their doors, an angel of the Lord appears. But during the night, verse 19, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this 
life. I love that. Do you see it? Look at the text. It's this life. It's capitalized, isn't it? Capital L-I-F-E. Because it's not just a good life. It's not just a moral life that they're talking about. They're talking about life abundantly. The abundant life that is found only in Jesus that starts now when a believer believes and goes into all eternity forever. And so the angel rescues them from prison. Why were they put in prison? To stop the proclamation of the gospel. Why were they released from prison? Why were they rescued from prison? I think two reasons. Number one, it reveals the power of God. Now, you, you can't see in your mind right now what that prison was really like. You can imagine it. You could probably imagine a dungeon-type atmosphere, dark and dreary. You can imagine the stench in some ways, but you really can't imagine it. So let me help you see the power of God. Look up online later today. The most extreme maximum security prison that we have in our country. It'll lead you to Colorado. And look at some of the cells that are there. And look at how many doors these prisoners are enclosed in. Look at the cages that they are allowed to be moved into while outdoors so that they can exercise for a total of 10 hours a week. Look at this, because it's amazing. As you see it, there's no possible way they could escape. Here's my point. If that was what the prisons would have looked like back then, this angel of God would have had no less difficulty setting them free. God cannot be stopped, period. And so though you can't imagine truly in your mind what those cells were like, all you need to know is that there is no cell, there is no prison, there is no wall that can keep God from accomplishing his mission. That's amazing. So why does he do it this way? The sovereign God allows these men to be arrested. He allows those in power to simply say, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And so they are lowered into these cells. They are locked away. They understand the reality of what's happening, but I can't imagine they truly expected the angel of the Lord to appear. They do know this, that Jesus said to them before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. They knew that. But suddenly this angel appears. The angel opens the door. They've been set free. Why? So that the power of God could be revealed. Only God could do this. Second reason though, that the angel set them free wasn't just so the power of God could be revealed in this amazing story of an angel setting these criminals and their minds free. It was so that these men would continue to proclaim the gospel. Notice that the angel didn't say, hey, pretty cool, huh? You're free. Go and flee and run as far away from this place as you can. Because if you keep teaching about Jesus, the one who is the Lord, the life, L-I-F-E, capitalized, they're going to throw you back in here. That's not what the angel said. Verse 20, the angel speaks, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. All we know is what Luke tells us. And when they heard this, 
they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. God can't be stopped. So these disciples, they don't only have the walls of these prison doors opening, they have the walls of every fear that you could imagine man to have also dropping. Peter, who not long ago said to a girl, I don't know the man. He cast curses upon himself if he was found to be in that fellowship. Now, the angel has set them free. The angel has spoken. The angel has said, go back to the temple and tell people about the life, capital L-I-F-E. And they did. That is why the angel set them free. Isn't that amazing? As they speak, those of an authority move to have these prisoners released that they might go through trial. They move through the trial or towards the trial when suddenly they're told uh, they're not in their cells. And we don't know why, because their, their cages are securely locked. We don't know what's happened. Isn't that amazing? By the way, just, just pause for a minute. This really happened. This is part of our history as the church. And it's just part of human history, period. And so the disciples continue to teach. Now they're outraged, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now here Peter, he spoke, the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And they were. They go through this conversation, which then leads to a Pharisee who's in the council, and his name is Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. Now listen to what he says. He says, in this present case, I'm in verse 38. In this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. God cannot be stopped. He can't. In fact, he goes on to say, you might even be found opposing God. He was a wise man. They respected him. Luke tells us that they listened to him, but they still wanted them dead. They still wanted the message stopped. So what do they do? They beat them. And I imagine the beating was beyond our ability to comprehend. They beat them. Why? So that they would be deterred from saying anything about Jesus. Certainly, if we beat them hard enough, bad enough, they won't keep speaking about this life, capital L-I-F-E. But that's not what happened. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Why were they put in prison? To stop preaching that Christ is Jesus. He is the life. 
the only life? Why were they set free to reveal the power of God? So that they might proclaim to the nations this gospel. God can't be stopped. So what does it mean for us? First, if you are a Christian, you have placed your faith in Jesus alone. First, you need to remember, just like I do constantly, you have been set free. What that means is that you and I, as all of mankind, we were sinners. Romans, Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We weren't spiritually just sick. We weren't spiritually minor offenders. We didn't just commit a misdemeanor. We were spiritually dead. We were in the ultimate security prison of the enemy in which Satan is the warden. We were stuck, but because of his profound love and mercy and profound power and glory and his desire to save a people for his own, he set us free. That's what we've been singing about today. He makes the foulest clean. But the foulest isn't someone else. It's you. It's me. And he made me clean. He set me free. Why? To reveal his power and his glory. But dear friends, if you're in Christ, he didn't just set you free so that you could then flee and live your life however you wanted. He set you free to be a part of the mission that he has called his children to be a part of. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. He set us free to be a part of his kingdom mission, not just some of us, but all of us. We have been set free. Being set free reveals his power, his presence, his glory, but it's also about being a part of his mission to proclaim Christ. The same God, the same power, the same mission. That's amazing. The same God, the same power, the power of the angel to release them from prison, and the same message. Not a different message, not a less powerful God, not something other than the gospel, but the same thing. So, does that mean there's no desire for us or against us to keep us from proclaiming the gospel? Well, of course not. The enemy, Satan, want so much for the gospel to stop being proclaimed. And so what he does is even though we have been set free from the prison of sin and death, Satan, with his great temptation, seeks to have us live in a way still in a prison. 
with walls that go up that keep us from really sensing the power of God and from really engaging in the mission that he has given us for our entire life. So I want you to think for a moment about how the enemy, who doesn't want this gospel to continue to be proclaimed, I want you to think for a moment about the prison cell that he might have you in. A cell that has you living in a way fearful, bored, doubting, unwilling to engage in the mission that he's called you to. There are many ways we could define these walls. I want to give you, I want to give you four D's and an F. That's not a report card. That would be very discouraging. I just thought of that. But I want to give you four D's and an F. These words are not the only words that might describe the prison that we as believers find ourselves living in, but they're enough, I think, for this morning. First, one of the ways we might describe the walls of the prison we're in is doubt. We hear the power in this narrative We sense the truth when I say God cannot be stopped. But the truth is, in our hearts and minds, there's often so much doubt. We doubt whether or not God really does have the power to do what he did then. If we don't doubt in his power, then it's possible that we're doubting in his plan. Because when we look around the people, he has placed us. When we consider the world that we're living in and the darkness of it, we question whether or not he has the power to do something about it or whether even though if he has the power, he's willing to. Satan would love nothing more than for us to simply be living in that imprisonment of doubt, really doubting that he has the power to set people free, even people that we could never imagine professing faith in Jesus, or to just sit there twiddling our thumbs, wondering, does he even care? Doubt's one prison. Another prison that the enemy might place us in is the prison of delegation. And what that means is you have subtly tuned into the idea that this is a sermon about evangelism. And I'm glad that there are people who have the gift of evangelism. And that responsibility has has been delegated to them to go and do that. And I'll support them. I'll pray for them. I'll write checks for them. I'll be a sender, and you should. Not everyone has the calling and the gifting to be a a true evangelist, but we all have the calling to make the name of Jesus known. Because you see, not every evangelist is going to go to your place of work. In fact, as an owner of a business, you might not want to even hire an evangelist. We all are called to make the name of Jesus known wherever it is he has placed us. I'm confident that he has placed you on a block or in a community or in a place of work or a school where many people don't know the Lord. And God delights in using his children to make his name known. Evangelism. Spreading the good news of Jesus is not something that we simply delegate to those who have the gifts. In fact, some of those who have the gift of evangelism are going to be a tremendous turnoff to the gospel of Jesus. Did you know that? 
And it might be somebody that doesn't have the gift, but who's just a faithful witness and a lover of Christ that they're not turned off by. And suddenly they say, you know, I've never been attracted to Jesus because of those people that approached me in the mall and asked me those two questions. Which is not a bad way. That's one tool. But I like, I like you. Would you tell me about this Jesus that you love? My friends, there are lots of tools, but there are lots of prisons too. Delegation is one that we can find ourselves resting in, unwilling to go as the Lord has called us. A third D is doctrine. Our doctrine, as beautiful and rich as it is as a church, can actually keep us from being faithful to advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It happened in the early church too. In fact, those seeking to put Jesus and his followers away were deeply indoctrinated. Doctrine, the deeper it goes into us, ought to do the opposite of what it sometimes does. It should make us far more passionate and compassionate, excited to see the good news of Christ go to the world. But sometimes what it does is it causes us just to become smarter Christians, more intellectual. We speak in terms that non-believers might not even understand, and somehow we think that's deep. It's never deep until it goes so far that it has to exit your hands and feet. And the way in which we understand the doctrine of our holy religion more and more ought to go in us so deep that we find ourselves like the apostle Peter saying, we are unable to stop speaking about the things that we've seen and heard. Friends, doctrine should never keep us from being passionate for making known the name of Jesus. It should fuel that. It should feed that. Another side of doctrine, though, is many people feel like they don't know enough. And you're in a prison cell that says, when I learn more, then I'll be able to say something about Jesus. Well, let me tell you the truth. Most of you, because you know a little, know more than what a lot of the church leaders in some countries have as they lead their people. Most of us don't lack enough knowledge. So don't think it's just a little more training. Training's important, but you probably know enough already. And training can be gotten. How'd you like that? Fourth D, distractions. I think this is a cell block in which so many of us are in prison. So much noise, so many distractions, so many good things, even things about ministry that keep us from seeing and truly focusing on the ultimate mission that God has given us to reveal the power of the gospel to the nations. So many distractions are in this church so many distractions are in this community. So many distractions are in the church worldwide. My friends, we need to pause and simply ask the Lord, show us what is most important. And as he opens the scriptures to us, I promise you won't miss it. It is about abiding in him and making his name known to the nations. There are many distractions. Ministry, our own comfort, self-improvement, just stuff. But the biggest distraction of all is self. It's just me. Now to the F, 
What is this prison cell? Well, it's fear. And fear is real. Let's be honest. Fear of what it will cost me. Fear of what might happen if I fail. Well, let me tell you the truth. Jesus said it will cost you something. You might not get thrown into prison, but you might lose a client or a friend. But here's the amazing thing. When we listen to the Lord and he leads us, and we sense that he is telling us to be light in darkness, to enter into a conversation with someone that doesn't know the Lord, if it turns in a way that brings persecution upon you, you might be surprised to know that you are going to be like the disciples. And quietly, you will be able to say, I count it worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Because there's no higher calling. Fear is real. So how do you confront that fear? Repeat to yourself over and over again, God can't be stopped. And the God that can't be stopped wants to use me to make his name known. But God, though I've been set free from prison, spiritually speaking, set free for all eternity, I have found myself encamped in another cell. And it's a cell of doubt or distraction. It's a cell of fear or doctrine or delegating it to someone else. Well, here's the good news. The same God that can't be stopped, the same God that sent that angel of the Lord to set those prisoners free is the only one that can set you free from that prison. He's the only one. And here's the good news. Because it's his mission and because it's his power, I believe it's his delight to simply knock down those walls and to take a body like PCPC and ignite in each of our hearts a desire to say, here I am, Lord. And it scares me. And I'm afraid of failing. And I'm afraid of what it will cost. But here I am. And instead of feeling so proud of yourself for saying, here I am, you quickly acknowledge you who set the prisoner free have enabled me to even say those words. What does it feel like, brother and sister, to be on a team that can't be stopped? God can't be stopped. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you were imprisoned for us. On the cross, you took it all until you breathed your last and said it is finished.
in your death? Had you placed in a tomb? But then you broke free. You walked up on this earth a little while longer. And before you ascended, you said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You can't be stopped. God Almighty, we each have a story to tell. It's your story. Would you enable us and empower us to pray to you that you would continue to set us free for the work of making Jesus known. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.